0: Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, thanks for tuning in. So I think it's fair to say, and maybe it's an even an understatement that this has been a challenging year for so many of us. We've all been trying to navigate new realities that started taking shape in 2020, but have only evolved and spiraled in new and ever-changing directions in 2021. But that's certainly true, and maybe even more so, for people who are doing their best to raise children in a world that, like little kids, just won't seem to sit still. My next guest is someone we've talked with a lot about caregiving on this show, but his, her role as a caregiver has changed dramatically this year. Desiree Cooper is a journalist and activist originally from here in Detroit. She also spent years caring for her aging parents. And now she's taken on a new role as a caregiver for her three grandchildren, aged eight, five, and three. She joins us now to talk about what those experiences have been like in 2021 and how she thinks we could do a better job supporting people in positions similar to. To hers, Desiree Cooper. Welcome back to Detroit today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I am so
1: glad that we are voice only because I have. <laughs> I'm really. I'm really set up. I. I. I have a face for radio today.
0: Oh no, <laughs> I cannot imagine that. But <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> so let's start with this. How have you been? You know, you and I are friends. We are also friends on social media. So I I see and I hear a lot about what's going on with Mm -hmm. you. But catch us up, our listeners, on how things have been going. There's a lot of change in your life that's going on. and It's been a, a pretty tumultuous year.
1: It, it has been I, you. You know, I just loved your intro because for all of us, we're like, what in the world, you know? And you just don't even <laughs> want to ask what can happen next because it feels like you're that's the mojo for making that thing happen next. Um, so I don't want to appear to be a, a big fat whiner on the show today. I'm I'm here to you know, just kind of talk about re-realizing what young motherhood was like and how little it has changed over time and then been exacerbated by COVID. So I'm just here to sort of um, re- re my commitment to women and families and mm-hmm. to just say, I know, you, I know what you guys have been going through and not from a place of empathy, but from a place of actual experience. So mm-hmm. starting in July, this was also COVID related. Uh, my daughter's family found themselves displaced, struggling um, with jobs and their levels of support and all these things just sort of blew up. So they decided to try to go to a different area um, of Virginia uh, where there seemed to be immediate opportunity for them. And I said to them, well, everything's up in the air. You can't take the kids into that. So guess what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I became at 61 years old, I became the primary caregiver for my three grandchildren who are still in preschool and primary elementary school. And I knew it's what I had to do um, just to make sure that they got the best. But lordy, 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 I I had really forgotten the all-consuming stress it is Mm -hmm. to raise children and then to do it in this environment. And I do have to also remind you that I call my house Shady Pines because if you need caregiving, you just move into Shady Pines. So I still have my... (laughs) Mother who's 88 with Alzheimer's, and my adult son who's a type 1 diabetic and has been hospitalized with life-threatening conditions three times in the last year. Wow. So Shady Pines is just open to to all who need it at this point, <laughs> and we just added the children. Wow. Um. So that's where I where I am. At this point, yeah, and, and I'm six year six years. It feels like six years, six months into the journey of, of primary parenting, single parenting, actually.
0: Yeah, so so I want to go back just a little bit to the previous few years or, or several years, really, where mm-hmm. uh, you were the caregiver for both of of your parents, um, and that w- is what took you to Virginia from. Detroit, Um, and and I want to go back to talk about how the transition from that to this sort of uh, washed over you. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I remember talking with you last year about the caregiving for your parents and how intense that was, both in terms of the work, but also in terms of the emotional... um, the joy and the toll and all of those mm-hmm. things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I'm having a hard time imagining the move from that to three children under 10, <laughs> depending mm-hmm. on you for everything. Um, mm-hmm. so, so just talk about where you were, I guess, at the beginning of this year and how that changed. how you, how you managed uh, that change.
1: Well, I just like, at the beginning of this year, I was like, I've got it. I've got to get out of here. I've got to, I need a break. I need to go somewhere. And I actually, um, you know, I spent 30 years in Detroit. That was my entire adulthood was in Detroit. And my friends are there and I, and we zoom all the time. And, and so we had plans for reuniting and, you know, getting our vaccines and, um, and seeing each other for the first time since the pandemic. And, all of that got canceled and instead of getting the break, I got like the toughest break of adding more people on. So just when I thought I could not really do this one more day, um, you know, there there's more need just happened. Now, it's been a, a pretty dark time for me, but it's been a bright time for the kids. And I think that that is, you know, that's typically what happens when you're a caregiver. It's like you see the difference you're making in a person's life that you care about. And so your own needs and your own, you know, resentments and anger, you just stuff it down because you see, you know, the joy or the well-being that's happening with the people around you and especially children who did not ask for any of this and deserve a chance. The other um, kind of surprise is just how much fun, you know, I've been <laughs> on lockdown for six years. So wow. it, it was before the pandemic that I've been on lockdown only because I couldn't get the kind of help I needed um to take care of my parents and they they had to be supervised all the time. And so I had family rotating in and out, but I was never in a position where I could actually make this community my new home. So I didn't have friends. There, you know, I don't I don't go out, blah, blah, blah. So lots of nature, lots of sunshine. I'm not whining. I'm 20 minutes from the Atlantic Ocean, which I take full advantage of. So I had my outlets, but just in terms of actually integrating into a new society, I'm completely isolated. Um, uh, So bringing kids into the house is hilarious. They're hilarious. (laughs) They are hilarious. And they're kind of like my new buddies, you know, on on a level, especially the eight-year-old. And... I had to talk to them a little bit, especially the eight-year-old, about how often we all, I think this is particularly in the black communities and communities of color, how common it is for children to be raised by their grandparents for a long period of time or for a hard period of time. And... I was, you know, I was looking at this as sort of a failure of the family connections for me to have to take the kids in, you know, and, and take them full time. And then I remember I lived full time with my grandmother. My dad served in Vietnam for a year and mm-hmm. we moved in with my grandmother in the country. Um, I mean, I had my mom there, but it was a, a painful separation and, and we really mourned not having him. And we worried that we'd never see him again. But that time is also full of great memories for me and imprint on family and development of different kinships. So it's not the end of the world. And um, in COVID, if we have learned anything, it's, you know, that kin, either fictive kin is what it's called in sociology. That's people that have, you've chosen your family. Mm -hmm or people who really are your family but man if you don't have some kind of network around you that that is that that rises to the level of intimate family relationship you're in trouble um and so the kids luckily had that you know and i'm lucky to to be there for them you know i don't have to go to bed at night worrying what they're being exposed to how they're sleeping at night are they eating you know Wow. And, and they're learning. So my dad was a fix it man. He, he has, I have had plumbers come into this house and they're like, what in the world? Like, how is the knee bone connected to the ankle bone in this house? You know, he <laughs> jerry rigged <laughs> everything. And he built a playscape in the backyard from scratch, not by a kit, um, that my children who are in their thirties played on and now his great grandchildren are playing on that you know in the yeah. backyard wow so there's something to be said for that i'm that's the rosy picture there's a lot of horror behind that yeah. as well as you might imagine
0: well i mean that 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 is the i think that's the narrative that surrounds any effort to To raise human beings, there is this Mm -hmm. incredible magic that is involved with it and that you feel all the time. And then uh, sometimes there's terror and -hmm. (laughs) and you have to balance the two uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to not just make it through yourself, but make sure that they are getting everything that they need.
1: Yeah, I raised two children. So I've never raised three children. And that's, you know, the third is like exponentially, exponentially bigger. Yes. <laughs> right. um, so, so for me to de- be developing those chops now, when I can't even remember where my car keys are or, you know, I mean, my brain is scattered and it's old. My body <laughs> is old. Um, and in this time of COVID, you know, where the schooling is, you know, very unpredictable. The quality of the education is unpredictable. The services are unpredictable. It's, uh, it's just, I keep saying how do quote unquote, real parents do it?
2: Mm.
1: And how have they done it? It's, it's astounding. Um, My kids were, uh, they're my kids now. (laughs) They were catching the bus, you know, at the beginning. I'm like, I live, I live within walking distance of the school, and they will not let you walk kids to school. Hmm. So I have to put them on a bus. I put them on the bus, and I thought, this is good. In case I can't be around to drive them, I have to do something different. If anyone steps in, all they know is they've got to meet them at the bus you know, at these times. So that's great. But the bus would come in half-hour windows, like half-hour early, half-hour late. Half hour. Then I had one day the bus driver stopped and said, this isn't an authorized stop. I'm like, since for two months, it's been an authorized stop. Well, it's not on the list anymore. You've got to go up the street or down the street. I'm like, well, who is going to tell me? And now you're inching me closer to the school that I can't walk my kids to. Like, this is crazy. So I stopped and I just drive the kids. But how is that an option? I mean, I'm like semi-retired. How do real parents deal with that?
0: Yeah, yeah. The sort of random changes and disruptions.
1: It's um, very random, you know, and I, I know in Detroit, randomly, you know, Southfield says, okay, we're not doing Fridays for a while. You know, Detroit says, you know, the same thing. We're, we're, these days are going to be off, these days aren't, you know. Um, and you can't, my kids here, they did virtual school almost the entire month of November. They didn't go to school the entire week for no reason. Like they just scheduled in virtual days. Like there, nothing's happening. (laughs) (laughs) There's no COVID surge. There's nothing. It's just like, oh, we're just going to do, we're just going to do virtual. So I had virtual school practice as well. And I have one kid, the oldest in one room, hoping he can navigate it because he did virtual school last year Mm -hmm. and he's eight. So they're all computer literate. They know what to do. My kindergarten has never done it. So I had to sit with her while I'm sitting with the kindergartner. I had the teacher It took the teacher a half an hour to get everyone online. So she's bored to death. And by then she's taken off her socks and shoes. She's saying she wants something to eat. She's got to go to the bathroom. Um, The teacher is saying, Stella, Stella, get out of your bedroom. You can't be in your bedroom. Really? Well, what if Stella only has a bedroom (laughs) to learn in? Are you kidding me? And I realize that the teacher has an audience of parents. In the classroom, watching the teaching style and watching how the teacher's managing things. That's a new thing for, for, for teachers and yeah. for parents. Yeah. There was a child who whose parents did not speak English. So that parent not only was out from school, but had someone that could interpret for them come over so that the kid could have a constructive school day, virtual school day. The teacher said mr whatever are you off from work today he goes no i gotta go to work (laughs) but i had to do this as well so evidently he had a shift that allowed him to do that are you serious people right meanwhile i had my eight-year-old run into the other room where i had the kindergartner online and said there's a fire there's a fire i thought there was a fire in our house I rush over there, and a kid's house is on fire.
0: A kid in the the virtual classroom. Oh no! Oh my goodness.
1: The kid had decided that it was in the kitchen, and had decided he was going to toast something, and let it burn and set fire.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, these are these are harrowing (sighs) stories, and and you know, I, I know that among our listeners these stories are resonating because there are so many people who are dealing with these same things all we hear about is the idea that sometimes school needs to be virtual that we've got to adapt to this but we don't hear about what the sort of practical end of that looks like every day in people's households and the chaos that it can invite okay we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna continue this really wonderful conversation about caregiving with Desiree Cooper. We wanna hear from you as well. Are you caring for children during the pandemic? Or are you caring for another adult? Paul and tell us what that experience has been like for you. What are some of the biggest challenges of caring for someone, especially here in 2021? And what kinds of things do you wish the government or communities would do better to support caregivers and parents right now? is always the number here on the phones that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to the WDET Facebook page put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation we'll be right back with more Detroit Today
2: WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit.
3: WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you.
0: Stay in the know. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 101.9. W-D-E-T. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest this hour is journalist, activist and author Desiree Cooper. And we're talking about caregiving, caregiving here in 2021, in the middle of a pandemic, caregiving all of the time in our lives, the, the things that we always have to do for people we love, people who are close to us, people who live with us, people who have to come and live with us. We wanna hear your stories as well. Call and tell us what caregiving looks like in your life and how it's gone here during the pandemic. Talk to us about virtual learning. Talk to us about the idea of minding all of the different things that uh, you have to when you're caring for somebody But when there's this terrible, terrible disease spreading around everywhere, how isolated are you as a caregiver? How much support do you think you get from the government or communities if you're a caregiver? And what do you think could be different? What do you think could be better about the situation that people who are caregivers face? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Judy in Detroit. Judy, welcome to the show.
2: Well, hello. How are you? And thank you for taking my call. Sure. I always love listening to you. I just wanted to say I'm a retired uh, public school teacher, and not in Detroit, but in the surrounding areas. I'm in Detroit. I, it took me a while because I was a, a fervent fighter for the rights of children and so forth. But it took me a while to understand that the school districts um, basically are doing the best that they can and how strapped they are by the legislature of Michigan who keeps changing rules. school districts keep making plans and then this legislature keeps changing the rules based upon the bottom line. Mm. And it's really, I believe, the legislature that needs to listen to all of these stories that you are bringing forth, because that's who they're supposed to be serving. Um, That's pretty much what I want to say. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Judy, I really appreciate your call and you making that point. Uh, Des, we haven't talked yet about the kinds of supports and the kinds of uh, things that, that caregivers need and what they're getting versus what they're getting. You were talking about how they're in Virginia. They're not making it very easy to even get your kids to school. But this idea that, uh, that the people who make decisions about these things are so removed, I think from Mm -hmm. the experience of caregivers that they're just, they're not thinking about how, People are affected. They're not thinking about how it changes someone's life when you make a decision about how school is going to work or where the bus stop is uh, to drop your kids off at.
1: Well, you know, I can't have a moment in life without rearing my feminist head.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) This
1: is all about all of our our entire Social safety net is about women working for free and relying on women to make it happen. You know, increasingly, men are becoming more caregivers Mm -hmm. out of necessity. Um, But it is a woman's job to figure it out. It is not society's job. It's not the government's job. It's not the school's job. It's the woman's job, even within you know, women who have partners, supportive partners, um, it's still, everything is set up that way. So when that starts to, um, fail, there, there there's no plan B in our society, you know, plan A, B, C, and D is get a girl to do it. Mm -hmm. So this is why when the systems start to fray at the edges, it all tumbles because you, you cannot put that all on the shoulders of women and not ever have any kind of support. So now we're seeing people pulling out of the workforce. They're not doing it out of choice. It, they're not saying I'd rather be poor than work. They're saying I can't work. I can't afford childcare, I can't afford this inconsistency. I'm going to get fired or I have been fired because I keep calling in because there's another virtual day that wasn't on a calendar, Hmm. you know, or the schools are closed because there's an outbreak. Um, I used to say, for years, and I would get so lambasted for saying this, that schools, yes, schools are babysitters. That is not a pejorative. What I'm saying is that in our society, school is our child care system. It is. And if you don't look at it like that and treat it like that, you're going to be in trouble. And this is, look what's happening. We don't have a child care system when school is not in session. And now the children are at risk. The families are at risk. Women can't work and can't advance and they can't take care of their families. And guess what? There's no government. There's nobody even at government. Where is government? Like nobody's at work. Nobody's moving the forms. It takes months and months to process anything. Um, and, And so we're falling into that abyss because we did not ever respect the work that women do and elevate it to a societal need. It's not my problem that I have kids. It's my gift to the world and to the society. Who are you going to employ? Who are your children going to get married? Who is going to take care of you in your old age through Social Security and paying into that? Even if you don't have kids, other people are paying into that. And who are those people if they're not given birth and raised by women? Right. (laughs) So... You know, it's 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 crazy how disrespected women's work has been and yet how utterly important we have seen it during this pandemic and how ridiculous our policies are. So people in Lansing, you know, the other thing is women's work is invisible. Like we just put on our wings and pull up our panties and get it done. And so it seems like it's okay, and they and we got it. I mean, even within uh, relationships, it's invisible, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so, the legislators have don't really have a clue because either they are able to pay their way out of a problem, or it's not their problem. Even if they are raising kids, it's still not their problem. It's yeah, their spouse's I
0: wanna, problem. I want to read a Twitter comment that I think speaks to some of this, and, and it speaks to how difficult all this is. I mean, you're absolutely right about the burden on women, uh, especially for, for caregiving. But Big Neo on Twitter writes, he says, uh, I have two young kids, and finding a provider that you're comfortable with is a challenge, and paying for that care is even more of one. Coming up with $400 a week for their care has been rough. Gig work has been a blessing, but universal child care would be a godsend. I think that's a really good example of the way that the burden does fall on anybody who's who's got limited means or just, you know, a finite set of means that that Mm -hmm. making sure that you have quality care for your kids is really, really tough.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, but that it's it's vicious circle. I mean, those those daycare providers are women
0: yes right
1: and they're underpaid and they're stressed and guess what they have kids too you know those teachers are women and they're stressed and they're underpaid and they have kids too those those uh certified nursing assistants that come in to help you with your elders are paid dirt and they're women Mm -hmm. and they have children too so Unless we stop offloading all of these burdens onto these sh- uh, the shoulders. And I know I'm speaking very generally. You know, there are, are men involved on every level of this. But the predominance, statistically, the predominance is, is women. Yep. And the reason why we are where we are is because we've assumed that it will be women. I think the more men do this the more, I always say there was a women's movement and nothing else moved. Well, now we see that everything else has to move along with the women's movement. And I think that's going to happen because people are understanding. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess that isn't easy. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess that isn't cheap. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess I better pay a little bit more if I want great people to come in and help take care of my mom, you know, but we've ignored it for so long. And, and, you know, now that it's fraying, there is no plan B, you know, there's just no plan B and it doesn't seem to be, you know, coming. It doesn't seem to be
0: coming. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. Tell us what caregiving looks like in your life here in 2021, how it's changed maybe because of the pandemic or just because of life circumstances and tell us what the challenges look like, what could be better, what supports could exist that don't uh, for you and your loved ones. Let's go next to Carly in Royal Oak. Carly, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for bringing this topic up. I'm a Mm long-time listener, but first-time caller and
0: had to call in.
3: I'm a mom of a one-and-a-half-year-old and a a -a three-and-a-half-year-old also a full-time working professional. My husband's also a full-time working professional and having a baby in April of 2020 and also a toddler. We have certainly been in the throngs of caregiving for little kids in the pandemic as well as trying to maintain our work schedule. So this topic is so important and I feel like it's not being discussed enough. So thank you for doing that today.
0: Sure. Uh, So give us a sense, Carly, of how you balance all of that? I mean, everything that you just said uh, made me feel more and more stressed just listening. Just listening to you describe it. Um, so, so tell me how you how you balance all of this.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's really day to day. It's been a challenge, I think, for for everybody that's been involved. <clears throat> you know, we're lucky that we are people that, that have means, and we, we're able to you know afford childcare. We are able. work from home both of us remotely so that has really been something that I've been appreciative for but at the same time it can be a double-edged sword for people that are trying to maintain and build their careers I'm actually just coming off of a 14 day quarantine with my three and a half year old who's been home by my side you know running into zoom calls for the last two weeks um, because she had a case uh, and an exposure at her daycare center, and has to be home. So even mm-hmm. though we have the ability to afford childcare, everybody is a little bit in the same boat in that even if you can afford it, it's, it's there. You're you're at your house, you have your kids, um, but you're expected to you know go on as if everything's normal. And now we're almost two years into the pandemic, and I think there's certainly an expectation that we just keep. Uh, moving on. So it, it can be hard to balance, but <clears throat> there's been some talk about, you know, parents just being resilient and getting through it. Um, and that's just what we do. The one thing I wanted to mention also that we, you haven't talked about yet, I believe this morning, is that there is, we still remain one of the countries um, in the world, one of the only countries without any paid family leave available right. for caregivers. And that is a huge factor for a lot of people I mean if we had the same abilities to take paid time off as some of our other you know Western allies I think you would see um, a big difference in our economy a big difference in in schools and work Um, and this is something that's being discussed in the government right now Um, and unfortunately it's a little bit sad to see you know that it's getting put on the chopping block but that's something that could really improve the situation
0: as well yeah Carly, really appreciate the call and you sharing not only your experiences, but uh, your perspective on this. And your call is a reminder that President Joe Biden said today that he thinks it's unlikely that the Build Back Better Act that he has been trying to get through Congress is going to see a vote this year. Uh, The reason for that is not Republican opposition. It's the difficulty inside The democratic party reaching a consensus about uh, the importance of these things the money that we need to pay for them senator joe manchin who is from west virginia is one of the votes that uh, they're having a hard time getting um uh, this is a reminder that that these have these decisions these lack of decisions in washington have such real impact i mean you listen to carly describe the kinds of choices that they're having to make in her family that's what this is about. This is not just about money. This is not just about uh, policy. It is about uh, people's lives. Uh, Des, I wonder if you have reactions to what Carly's talking about here.
1: Ah, oh, well, God bless her. I mean, I just can't even imagine giving birth during the pandemic. Right. Like, even that experience had to be really harrowing, assuming that everything was was fine with mother and baby, but. Um, I'm just, I almost feel like I'm going to cry right now, just thinking Mm -hmm. about all that that's, you know, that's, that should be happening, that could be happening, that people are ignoring. And it feels cruel to me. I mean, do they get up every day? You know, do they, what, what world are they in where these things feel hard and feel political and not? Part of the American ethic of caring for your neighbor, yeah. you know, and the Christian ethic of caring for your neighbor and being kind and helping as much as you can. And how is it controversial to make sure that people have health care, that people have food and that schools are, are adequately, you know, supported how is this controversial? It, it's just blows my mind. And, and how does that become a political football? It's like, even in my own decision to, to take on the grandchildren, it's like, I don't want to raise kids now. I'm 61 years old. <laughs> I'm, I'm floating. I was, I was well on my way to going off in the sunset and doing what I wanted to do with my life. That's not going to happen. I'm going to be 80 when the baby graduates from high school. Mm. So this is it. Okay. But how can I go to sleep at night knowing I could have done one little thing to help? And I didn't. How could I, you know, and so I don't understand the lack of empathy that seems to have infected. It's worse than the virus. And How astounding it is that the virus has, while it has stoked empathy, I think, more broadly than it was before, I think in our political system, it has only calcified people into stances that make no sense, that are
0: irrational. It's made it's made things much worse. There's no question about that. So
1: I, I just don't you know I, I, I I'm I'm just wow I'm just befuddled about what is happening in the in the bigger world. And so sometimes you have to just focus in your little world, and um, and try to make the difference there every day. I mean I think on some level all of us have become a little zen about things. Yeah. You know you have to let go of so much and just hold on to what is real 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 for you yeah
0: okay we're going to take another quick break and when we come back we'll continue this conversation with desiree cooper and of course with you the listeners vicky in detroit anthony and melvindale noel and novi you're up next in the queue If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on one o one nine WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking today about the state of caregiving and caregivers uh, in our society here in 2021 as we end 2021 and look forward to 2022. What are the things that could be better for people who are caregiving? Caregiving for children, caregiving for other adults. Our guest is journalist, activist, and author Desiree Cooper, who has had a pretty profound change happen for her in 2021, and has found herself in the position of caregiving for her three grandchildren. Um, She has spent many of the past several years caregiving for her parents. Uh, That's really the sort of polar ends, I think, of the, the caregiving spectrum. We want to hear from you as well. Uh, about uh, what caregiving looks like in your life. Uh, Are you somebody who is caring for kids during the pandemic? Are you someone who's caring for parents or another adult in your family during the pandemic? Tell us about those experiences, tell us about the stresses and the challenges, but also tell us what you would need to make that experience uh, go much better. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll include you in the conversation that way. Let's go next to Vicky in Detroit. Vicki, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, hi, Stephen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I, I just had to call. Uh, I listen to you every morning uh also needed to say that I absolutely love Desiree uh, Cooper
2: mm-hmm. and
4: have uh, watched and followed her for her whole career. She's an awesome lady. Uh, but And she did say she gets in trouble for saying something she said a while back. I just would like to renegotiate that the, the term that she used when she was referring to school systems or teachers or uh, the school as an institution. I, I think one of the problems that we're having is that we look at the school system as caregivers. And I am, I'm going to have to say, I'm a former teacher. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I was frustrated when I heard a parent say, well, I can't come to parent-teacher conference because I have to work. I think that, uh, children are gifts. I agree with Desiree about that. But parenting also requires a certain level of responsibility. And that responsibility means that you find a way when you bring children into the world to develop a support system if you don't have one to put it in place. I think the pandemic if it has shown us nothing else is that you can't rely on an institution to be there. Now, I think it's the responsibility to support parents, and to support children. But I remember not so very long ago, when society, people, parents didn't rely on a school or district Mm. to support the caregiving, the families were responsible for that. And I think if we can try and get back to that, and I know, Things are expensive. Many parents have to work, but there used to be systems in place. There was, a, if it was a aunt, not an aunt, it was a, a grandmother or a neighbor who could take on that that role, that caregiving role. Mm. Teachers are educators. They're not there to be caregivers, in the sense of maybe providing childcare so that parents can go to work. They're yeah. there to educate, so, and when you put too much on the uh, systems, what happens is eventually it, it breaks.
0: It doesn't, it doesn't, is, doesn't I think, work.
4: What, it just absolutely yeah. Vicky, doesn't work. Vicki,
0: th- that's a really important tension to bring up, and and I'm glad you brought it up uh, from the perspective of having been a teacher and having experienced that. Uh, does I want to give you a chance to, to react, though, to what, what she's saying about that tension and how we resolve it.
1: Well, I told you I was get in trouble when I say it. Um, <laughs> no one likes that. <laughs> and Vicky is so right. But the reason I say it is because it does evoke a discussion and a reaction. Honest to God, the teachers are not, they are professionals. And they are there to teach or instruct your children. However, the school writ large, public school has taken the place of universal childcare. And that's how it is. That's why I say, yes, schools are babysitters. So there's two solutions to that if we don't like that. One is give schools more resources, the wraparound resources, you know, build, use those school buildings in the summers, you know, after school, in order to acknowledge and support that idea that as an institution, schools are really our system of universal childcare or get real and say, no, we're this only this professional place, but you still have to have that system out. Everybody doesn't have an aunt or a grandmother. We're back to what Vicki was saying. We're back to get a girl to do it. Find a woman to take her life apart so that these you know, these needs could be met. Everybody's got to work. In our society, that's what it takes to survive. Yeah, It's not optional, okay? And so let's understand that. And if that's where we are in our society, then you have to support bringing new members into the society. And you have to support escorting those who have served our society out with dignity. And those two bookends, as you mentioned, Stephen, Are completely in shambles. And there's never been a system for that. And it is time for us to get real about what we're really talking about. Women are no longer in that role 24 seven, they're in a lot of roles. And I will say this I, I would be curious with. the advent of, of using more technology in schools through virtual learning. Our parents have doing more parent teacher conferences. If you can do it on your phone and have a virtual conference with the teacher, what's the holdup folks. You can't have a moment for that. So yes, you have to be invested. It's not like you're throwing your kids out and saying, um, I, I can't take care of them. I need a babysitter. What you're saying is I have to provide for the kids. I have to go to work. <laughs> and I can't just work for daycare to pay for daycare. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's very much a vicious cycle. But I, I purposely and I think I'm going to get in trouble a lot more because I'm not going to stop <laughs> saying it until people realize what we're talking about. Vicki yeah. has brought up what the schools are up against. And I'm trying to say, yeah, they are up against that because there's no other system. It has definitely fallen onto the schools. Yeah.
0: To there's, no other, there's no other. There's no other relief. Yeah. Uh, Anthony on yeah. Twitter adds to the conversation that all of this would be easier if we guaranteed that everybody had health insurance. That's another great point. Uh, that yeah. uh, You know, that's another stressor that. Caregivers face not just with children, uh, but also with uh, with aging adults. Um, so let's go to Noel in Novi. Noel, what's on your mind?
5: Hi, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
5: so I just wanted to share my experience with you guys. I am a nurse. I work in an ER, uh, and um, we see almost uh, most. More than 80% of our patients are COVID-positive. So uh, the chances for me getting COVID is very high. I'm also a mom of a seven years old. Uh, eight years old. Uh, my husband is also an essential worker, so we don't have the privilege of working from home. Uh, we also are immigrants. We moved, I moved with my husband to the U.S. Um, about 10 years ago, so we don't have any family. So our only choice for um, daycare would be private, to pay out of pocket for it, or for them to go to school. I know, and I understand, I was a teacher in my previous life, so I understand that teachers are not babysitters, but I do agree with your guest 100%. That is a big role for school, for for, um, a lot of parents that don't have any other options my the thing that i wanted to share with you is i feel bad for saying this but it is the truth i am fearful that one of my biggest fears right now is for my kids to contract covid Hmm. and i will have to quarantine from for them at, at home for 10 to 14 days and we cannot afford that
0: you can't afford it yeah yeah.
5: Can't afford that. I, I mean, I'm I'm a nurse, and i if I get COVID and give it to my kids, I'd be getting it from work. But I still have to pay out of my PTO for for my time out of uh, work. Right. So it Noelle, I don't just... I
0: don't want to cut you off, but we're gonna we're gonna run out of time. Um, but that, that's such a great point that fear that caregivers live with that if mm-hmm. one thing falls out of place if one thing goes wrong the yep. whole thing could come apart um does we only have about a minute and a half left but but i want to give you a chance to react to that I, th- it seems to me that that sitting on that edge all the time is one of the things right. that uh, that we all live with
1: well i just you know vaccine mandates could could turn this around so that we're with back to the normal problems <laughs> without mm-hmm. this added problem, mm-hmm. like the last callers, you know, um, the people you invite in your home to, to do caregiving, you know, are they vaccinated? Can you find, find those people? Are they, what are their homes like? And now that I got three kids, you know, shady pines is is open for infection. It's like because we've got to interact with the world in a way that I wasn't when I was just doing my parents. I could lock down my life, but I can't lock it down anymore. Um, and so, if we just had that feeling that okay, but everybody loves their neighbors and themselves and their family enough to just get vaccinated, so that. If you get sick, you're not going to die, more than likely, and it will be manageable. And we don't have to shut down the world, right. you know, over this. It's kind of a no-brainer. I it just makes me so crazy that we have to argue about things that just yeah. are about love. Yeah,
0: Dennis Cooper. It's always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today, but I'm especially glad. Uh, that you were able to join us today and talk about what the last year has been like for you. I want to wish you and your family a really great holiday season and and hope that things continue to to get better in 2022. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Same to you and your listeners.
0: Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I'll be back on Monday, and I hope you will too. We're going to continue our year-end looks at issues and topics that dominated 2021. We're going to talk about the law with former U.S. Attorney Barb McQuaid. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.